Hello and welcome to another episode of Conf T with URC. I am your host, Brian Young, and today I'm joined with Brian Boyd. How you doing, Brian? Doing well as always, Brian. Happy to be here. Fantastic. Yeah, I missed you last time. Uh, we had to bring in uh, Mike McPhee. We had a special guest. Um, well, if you're going to replace me, that's a, that's a good choice. <laughs> I'm sure he would, uh, he would appreciate that. Um, so yeah, just a reminder before we get into this that the thoughts and opinions expressed on this show are ours alone and do not necessarily represent the views of Cisco or their affiliates. And while we are systems engineers employed by Cisco, recommendations and suggestions made on this show should not be considered as replacements for Cisco TAC or Cisco Certified Partners advice. Please consult with these resources before making any major changes to your environment. Well, Brian, because you made fun of me last time, today we have a horrible show. No one's going to like it. Zero downloads. Uh, <laughs> actually, um, we do have a pretty good topic uh, planned for today. Um, it is going to be we're going to be talking about SD WAN. And this is something that we've uh, we've seen come up quite a bit. Um, definitely some good opportunities um, for our customers to uh, save some money and um, automate their network and how things operate. Um, SD uh, standing for because we love to use acronyms in, in technology, right? Uh, SD standing for software defined, and WAN uh, being the wide area network. Um, so. Brian, let's go kind of go over the general overview of, of, of what is SD-WAN and, and how does it operate? All right. So I guess we'll start with, you know, just general principles that you'll find with SD-WAN. Mm -hmm. I feel like if you ask, you know, five different SD-WAN vendors what their definition is, you'll get five completely different answers. Okay. But I think three core principles that are going to remain the same throughout uh, are going to be abstracting the control plane from the data plane. Okay using all available transports, uh, meaning broadband or MPLS or 4G LTE, mm -hmm. in an active-active fashion. Uh, and then the last is going to be application-aware routing. And all of this is done to lower or eliminate your MPLS costs in your wide area network. Okay, so we're talking saving money. Easy, uh, easy thing for, I think, our customers to swallow. Um, okay, so now we have two main offerings in this space, right? We have um, the Meraki piece, which we discussed with uh, Mr. McPhee last uh, on last episode, uh, as uh, kind of just a we touched on it a little bit with the Meraki MX device. Uh, but we also have a second offering uh, with our acquisition of Viptela. Um, kind of want to go through both of those and and how they are different and how they are the same. Um, so you talked about using multiple transports. Um, for the Meraki piece, for example, we are we are limited in using uh, two transports. It's, it's it's a hard limit of no more than two transports. However, we do have the capability of having a tertiary um, for a failover for like a four G connection. I think on uh, every every box that that we have has a USB port that you can plug in a modem into. Um, and I think we do have some newer models now that actually have the cellular modems built in where you just have to pop in a SIM card and you've got uh, a 4G connection right there. So, again, for Meraki, on a transport uh, on a transport layer side, we're looking at, again, two transport methods max, and that's every size. That's all the way from a M uh, MX64 up to the MX450, um, and then a tertiary cellular connection. What about with Viptela? Are we looking at any sort of limitations there? What kind of uh, design recommendations would you make? 
Right. So, you know, there is no limitation. Uh, the only limitation would be port count on a device you're using. Okay. Um, so if you have eight free ports, you can use eight transports, whether that's, uh, you know, MPLS, you know, broadband internet, direct internet, um, as well as using the, uh, the 4G LTE mm -hmm. uh, in an active, active fashion. So it doesn't have to just be a, a tertiary failover. Okay. So just want to clarify that. So with, with Viptela, I can run a 4G connection actively with an MPLS connection and, let's say, a broadband connection. You absolutely can. I would just encourage you to be careful with that. Obviously, the, the data rates are going to be you know, a little more substantial, a little more expensive. So, mm -hmm. um, But there are use cases where you would see that. Okay. Um, I'd like to dive into that a little bit. So what we can do is we can set up a policy to say, I want certain traffic to go over that cellular connection only, and then everything else to go over the other connections. Or, or how, how would we do that? What, what options would we have to be, uh, be able to configure that? Well, with Abdella, I mean, it's really whatever your imagination can come up with. Okay. You can have, you, I mean, if you want, you can have the 4G LTE be a, a backup and have nothing running over it until everything else has failed. Right. Or you can segregate some of your traffic and, and say, pinpoint a application that you want to run over 4G LTE and have everything else go over broadband or MPLS. Okay. So this would be like uh, if you had... Um like an ATM machine or if you had a storefront that was doing um, credit card transactions and if you absolutely, for some reason, wanted to have it go over 4G because you felt that was more secure or whatever, um, you could do that if you wanted to. You could, yes. Very cool. Um, so how do we integrate with um, MPLS? Um, we've talked, we mentioned before that you can reduce or completely eliminate your reliance on MPLS uh, when you switch over to SD-WAN. What would be... The integration with MPLS is it just is it just looking at it as another another transport layer or or how any any special uh, considerations to keep in mind? So traditionally, um, if we're talking about your average company that's building a wide area network, mm -hmm. you'll have some sort of edge router, um, and you will have probably two different transports. You're already going to have like a, a backup cheap internet connection, mm -hmm. as well as an MPLS, which you're paying um, a certain amount of money for for a certain amount of bandwidth, maybe like 50 megs and up. Um, and you're paying a decent amount of money for SLAs mm -hmm. so that you're getting reliable performance. They're, they're, you know, they're on the hook if the performance suffers or goes down in any sort of way. So you trust that connection a little more. Mm -hmm. But what you're doing is, is you're kind of using MPLS as your active transport. And that cheap internet is, is more of a backup, right? Um, just in case something fails or, or something were to happen. So the idea with going to maybe dropping MPLS and going to dual broadband, maybe one for the phone company, one from the, um, the cable company, the idea there is I can offset my risk of a single connection, my MPLS connection going down or suffering latency or whatever, by throwing two very high bandwidth broadband connections at this device. Exactly. There's really two pieces of this that kind of makes it possible. Number one is the reliability of broadband today. I mm -hmm. mean, if you told someone about this 10 years ago, they'd probably laugh at you, <laughs> uh, you know, talking about running your, your important traffic over broadband internet, you know, right. just commodity. And we're talking voice traffic, too. I mean, when, when you get to that internet connectivity, when you get to that internet connection, uh, beyond the, the 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 edge device, there's no more QoS. Like you're just your best effort the whole way, even though you're in a, a tunnel, and the MX is going to prior or the or the Viptela router is going to prioritize that traffic up to that point. What gets in the tunnel first, 
beyond that, it's it's kind of plug and pray again. You know, here we are back at back at that. Um, but in your experience with the customers that we've dealt with, it's been working very well. Exactly. Yes. So so fast forward 10 years and where we are at today, I mean, it's actually pretty reliable. Now, mm-hmm. I wouldn't sit here and tell you to, you know, just go broadband over MPLS unless that made sense from a business case perspective. But right. the second part of this is the intelligence that SD-WAN brings onto the table and, and overlays over the, you know, your, your wide area network. Um, the ability to use both of those transport in an active-active fashion. Uh, but the most important piece of this is it can actually measure the loss, latency, and jitter of your site-to-site VPNs, mm-hmm. so it knows which is the best path to take. You can do some pretty cool things with that. And that's and that's the automation piece that we talk about with SD-RAN, right? Just just throwing two internet connections at a router and saying, you know, go. <laughs> that's, that's not enough. Um, and this is actually a similarity between both the Viptela and the Meraki offering, is that we can set a policy that says, I want you to, to send voice traffic over connection one as long as the jitter and latency is below this threshold. Once it crosses that, go ahead and switch over to link number two, uh, or however way you want to write that policy. This is we, when we talked about this last time with Mike. Is this is where we define the intent and we let the software do what it needs to do to make that intent a possibility. And this is where we've seen great success with SD WAN. Um, I've got a customer that, and I mentioned this in the in the last episode too. He's got 18 locations across the state, and he switched everything from you know every connection having an MPLS connection to now every every site has a dual internet connectivity and the tertiary failover. And I believe in one one of the winter storms we had last year, he lost internet connectivity at three sites. Both broadband connections went down to three locations, so they all failed over to 4G, and he didn't lose any business. His phone system continued to work. His ERP system continued to work, and they did not lose any business. So he was a happy, happy customer. And he's saving money, even with having two broadband connections and cellular. He's still saving money over MPLS. Now, your experience may differ. This is why, um, this is why it's important to work with your Cisco account team. Maybe do some sort of try and buy or some further testing, design with your account team to better understand your scenario um, and how. SD WAN can help because in most cases it's it's a it's a it's a slam dunk it's a home run but we, we may run into instances where we come up across some some caveats that we may not be ready to uh, attack just yet so definitely work with your account team is uh, any of the information that's uh, you know provided here is always subject to change right mm-hmm. yeah so what. What I see is most common actually is uh, lowering MPLS. So you still keep it around, but mm-hmm. instead of say paying for 50 megs, you, you bump that down to 10. Okay. But what you can do with that is instead of everything flowing over MPLS, you just pick out your most critical traffic. So your voice traffic, video traffic, any business critical applications. Mm-hmm. You put that on primarily MPLS. Obviously, if there's any performance issues, have it fail over. Then yes. everything else, like your user's Facebook traffic or you know going on YouTube, Whatever that may be, you just run that over commodity broadband internet. Don't worry about it. That's a good point because, as you just mentioned, the the way that most of our customers have been doing it before has been the opposite. And it's is that primarily? Would you say is that primarily because they're looking at just static routes and 
and that's it because there's no you know there's no SD or intent behind that exactly there's no okay. intelligence so it's really hard to I mean you have to do all this manually right and then what would the failover be manual as well I mean I can't imagine someone sitting at, at, at the CLI of a router and picking out these routes and changing them back and forth so I mean we could imagine it but <laughs> <laughs> okay um, so what so we, we talked about the the ability to look at some of the problems you're having with your connectivity. Uh, what kind of alerting features do we have uh, within the Viptela side um, for latency jitter, loss of connectivity? Um, is, there, is there any sort of alerting built into the platform that we can use today? Alerting as in emails? Or yeah, just emails or whatever just to say, hey, there's a problem with this site. I've switched over. I failed over. I've noticed that I'm hopping back and forth. Jitter is at a uh, or, or, or latency is that a, is that a, a outside of this threshold? Can we set up certain types of, of alerts to the users to let them know the IT department know? Hey, there's a problem here. Of course, yeah, you can set up. Um, I mean, obviously, the first step is going to be to fail over. You don't want to get alerted and have to take <laughs> manual action. Right, right, right. Uh, you want it to do that for you, but you can definitely set it up so that it sends you an SNMP trap or even sends you an email. Okay, cool, very cool. So, and and on the Meraki side too, it's it's we we can set that up as well. I'm not sure about the SNMP trap. Um, I don't know if that would really work uh, just because of the way that the Meraki cloud is built. However, uh, we can definitely set up email traps within the Meraki, Meraki side. Um, so differentiators, you know, we've, we're kind of touching on this as we as we go with, with the differentiators between uh, Meraki and Viptela, but let's kind of broaden this up a little bit more uh, because there are a couple other players in this space, uh, and we, we do make it a point not to specifically call out um, competitors by name. However, when we're looking at um, Viptela or even Meraki versus some of the uh, competitors we come across, what are some of the differentiators that Cisco uh, can offer in terms of, uh, on the SD-WAN side, in terms of cost, performance, or uh, capability or features? Anything top of mind? Well, uh, just bringing it back to the beginning of the podcast when I said if you asked, you know, five different SD-WAN vendors about their definition of SD-WAN, you would get five different answers. That means that there's just a whole variety of solutions out there. Okay. And they're all calling it SD-WAN. Right. So there are some that are kind of bolt-on solutions where traditionally they're they're all about routing, routing, uh, and they just add in a little bit of intelligence. Um, that's one of them. Another one is a security. A security company that, you know, traditionally you maybe do your site-to-site VPNs through a firewall. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to add in a little bit of intelligence so that, the, you know, you can route using the firewall. Okay. Um, but what Cisco really focuses on is the application-aware routing. Um, so just picking out the different applications in your environment, identifying them through um, deep packet inspection, DPI, mm-hmm. and uh, making intelligent decisions based on that. Very good. Yeah, and, and it was funny because Mike and I did actually talk about, you know, do we ever see SD-WAN coming to Firepower? You know, because we do do site-to-site VPN mm-hmm. on, on Firepower, and no, we don't, we don't, we yeah. don't really see. I don't, I don't think it's a good place for it. It doesn't work that well, no. just bolting on intelligent routing onto a, a great security product. Right. Um, I just don't think it would function that well. And I think it's important, you know, this is, we come into this topic a lot with, you know, either a single box solution or a single pane of glass or whatever buzzword you want to throw in there. Um, this is why, personally, I can't stand it. It's like when you start throwing extra features at, uh, we start bolting on extra features onto a product, right? You're almost taking away from the core use of that product, right? 
and and you know this is why this is why I personally and we'll get into this in another episode when we talk security. This is why I can't stand firewalls to do content filtering. It's like no, I don't want to do content filtering on a firewall. Let's let's there's there's a much better product for that somewhere else. You know, let's let's talk there. Let's 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 not do it on the firewall. Um, but to your point, um, you know, doing this on the router on a device that is built to route traffic <laughs> makes a lot more sense versus trying to bolt it onto something else just to say that you can do it all in a single box solution. Now, to that point, Meraki being that single box solution, this is a it's a great solution for most of our customers, right? It's going to fit that use case for a lot of our customers. Um, and we're able to do this because we're taking a lot of the complexity and a lot of the um, not so used features out of the equation and we're doing really just the, the core functionality of each of those things and saying, you know, here, here you go. Um, great example, BGP IP peering, right? If I need, if, if, if you're using BGP on your edge where you are, you know, sharing your IP range across two ISPs, you're not going to be able to do that with Meraki. We just don't have the functionality there. Uh, does Viptela have that that piece in in there yet, or are we still working on that? Do you know? No, yeah, Viptela is fully able to route both uh, ISPF and ISPF, OSPF and BGP. Okay, so ISPF coming whenever you know it comes out. Yes, <laughs> it's not a real thing. <laughs> okay, yeah. So and and this is kind of the conversation that you as a customer uh, we want you to have with us as SEs, right? This is part of the qualifications. This is part of the understanding of your network that your account team is going to be able to offer you uh, in terms of being able to determine which is going to be the better fit. Um, because, again, there is not going to be feature parity between these two offerings. Um, but you may find that one is going to work over the other. Yeah, one is going to fit your needs uh, more than the other. Um, so to that point, let's let's talk uh, deployment. Um, when... Deploying these devices, this is going to be a product that ideally is going to sit on the edge of the network, right? We're going to be uh, connected directly to the ISPs. So kind of testing this out or trying this out can be rather difficult to do unless you're really planning for you know some downtime because you're going to have to disconnect your internet and plug it into a new box, right? And there's going to have to be some planning involved here. Um, so with both products, we do offer try and buys, mm -hmm. right? Um, this can be uh, very beneficial to see if this is something that's going to work for you and work for your organization practically, uh, where you can kind of run through actual scenarios and see if it's going to work for you. But this is going to be something that's going to be planned out pretty well. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, 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 honestly, I would encourage, you know, once you hone in on a solution, whether that would be Meraki or Viptela with your account team, mm -hmm. um, I would encourage demos mm -hmm. and uh, have your account team set up a, uh, a dCloud demo for you that you can personally run through yourself to get right. familiar with the technology, the terminology, um, and the different policies that you can create in both Meraki and Viptela, whichever one you know you vetted out. Mm -hmm. At that point, once you've decided it, you know, hey, this is right for me, the timelines make sense, uh, let's move ahead with it, I would definitely encourage the try and buy just because of what you mentioned it's disruptive. Right. So you only want to do it once, you know. Yeah. You you want to put if it in it works, there. You want to keep it there. Exactly. You you have the option to rip it out and return it if you hate it for whatever reason. Right. Um, but if you do like it, all you have to do is purchase it and it's already in your network. So right. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up dcloud because that can be very beneficial uh, for really 
basically playing in someone else's sandbox with with the hardware, right? Um, with dCloud, you're going to be able to experience the dashboard on both uh, product lines. And I'm not as familiar with the, Vip, the Viptela dClouds as, as I am with the Meraki stuff, but uh, with the Meraki, you can run through various scenarios and uh, play around with it and kind of build your own policies. Is it similar with Viptela? Yeah, exactly. So it'll actually take you through a whole variety of steps, and it'll start you at the beginning with uh, zero touch provisioning. Oh, um, nice. So you can actually see what it would be like to bring a new vEdge or ISR device into your network uh, and run through configuration from start to finish. Very cool. So yeah, this is uh, definitely something we'd recommend working, again, working with your account team. Um, dCloud will allow you to kind of play in the sandbox without introducing anything new into your environment or having to schedule any downtime. Really, it should just kind of turn the nerd knobs and, and see what happens in a, in a virtual fashion. Um, so you mentioned ISR, and I know we didn't have this in the show notes, so I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Um, with the Viptela acquisition, and again, this is this is all subject to change. This is as of um, March when we're recording, March 2019 when we're recording this podcast. As it stands today, uh, we have two methods of really deploying Viptela. It's on the Viptela hardware, uh, which we call vEdge devices, or it's through the Viptela software running on the ISR 4000 series platform. Is that correct? That is correct. What kind of differentiators are we looking at right now with between those two? Are there any uh, reasons why we would want to go one versus the other at this point? Um, well, really, it's about what you're trying to do. Okay. Uh, I would say the main differentiator at this point is the ISR hardware is a little more robust. It's a little beefier, whereas okay. the V-Edge is purpose-built just for Viptela software. Uh, one of the new features that has been introduced to Viptela is the UTM that you, know, you were talking about last week with Meraki. And I would say at this point, it's actually feature parity with Meraki okay. using the Talos engine and um, you know IDS, IPS, stuff like that. Um, that's only available on the ISR 4Ks just because of hardware limitations on the VEDGE. We couldn't bring it there, unfortunately. Okay. Um, now, a lot of our customers, when they're looking at this, may already have ISR 4Ks in place. Um, we do get asked um, quite a bit if they're going to be able to continue running existing functionalities like SRST um, or other voice functionalities on these ISRs as well as Viptela. And as of today, we're not able to do that, but that is coming down the road. Exactly, yeah. So the ISR integration started last year sometime, mm -hmm. and it is a very long roadmap. There right. are a ton of features that we need to build back in, build into the, the vManage GUI so that you can, you know, traditionally ISRs are managed through a CLI. Right. Uh, so now you're basically taking all of those features that were available, and you're trying to port them into a GUI which right. can take some time. Right. So because the roadmap is so long, we've gotten great headway. You know, there, There's tons of features that are now available on the ISR through Viptela, um, but there's a number that aren't, unfortunately, right. yet. Not one of them being voice gateways and SRST. Okay. And this is why it's important to work with your account team. Again, we don't like to um, talk about, we, we, we can't talk about roadmaps. We don't want to sell to roadmaps. Uh, we can't really, we don't want to speculate either. However, uh, again, this is a constant. This is a is it's a moving target. This is something that we're constantly evolving. We're constantly working on. Uh, working with your account team is going to be able to identify what route you should go given your sort of circumstances. If you still need to have voice gateway fe features and functionality, but you want to introduce SD WAN and Viptela, working with your account team is going to uh, 
help you identify what's going to be the best course of action there. Mm-hmm. And the whole work with timelines, you know, devices, mm-hmm. depending on what you're doing with your network. Yeah. And as, as the time goes on, again, this is March 2019 when we're recording this. Um, this story is going to change as we go along, right? By the time um, the person listening to this, you, you, Mr. or Mrs. Listener, listening to this and uh, decide to work with your account team, we may be much further, further down that roadmap and actually have some sort of dates uh, lined up for when that feature or function is going to be coming in. So um, last thing I want to touch upon uh, is going to be the deployment. Now, you, you talked about the uh, zero-touch provisioning. Can you kind of run through what that would be like real quick um what would be expected um for a new site to come up in a, in, a, in a perfect world right i've got a a new store coming online i'm viptela sd wan all the way i've already got my policies in place i've got my templates in place and i'm bringing on store number 405 what what does the process look like for me Right, so assuming you've already got the vManage GUI set up and, mm-hmm. and all of your controllers and everything, uh, you would ship the gear, whether it's an ISR or a vEdge out there. Mm-hmm. You'd have some sort of remote hands, basically plug it in, rack and stack it. Um, you would go ahead and add that serial number into the vManage GUI, accept a certificate after it goes through that whole you know acceptance process with the vBond. Mm-hmm. Um, and after it's in your network, this is you know why it's great to have that single pane of glass management um, you can go ahead and add a template to the device, add your policies to the device, you know, do whatever you're going to do remotely. You nice. don't have to be on site to do any of this. So you just need um, someone to plug it in on site? Yep, they don't, need to know, they don't need to know what they're doing. They just need to know, <laughs> hey, plug this cable into this port and plug this cable into this port, put the power supply in there, and, and you're good to go. Very good. And it's, it's actually a very similar story on the Meraki side. Um, I would say it's even a little bit easier. Uh, when you're purchasing uh, Meraki hardware, all you have to do is import in, uh, copy and paste in the sales order number into the Meraki dashboard, and it will pull all the serial numbers from that order number into your dashboard. From there, or into your inventory, from there you can assign them to particular sites, um, and uh, your policies, if you have templates built, you can just apply those templates, and uh, you're off and running to the races. We've seen Again, I have that customer um, that has 18 sites and deployed very easily. Everything was very manual because he didn't need to build a bunch of templates. Um, I did have a customer, 450 locations. Templates worked for them. And for even larger customers, uh, there was um, a very popular um, a very popular store that likes to sell things for around a dollar <laughs> that, uh, that went to uh, that bought into the Meraki story. And for them, their deployment method was actually using a, our API integration, which is something I do want to talk about real quick. Uh, with on the Meraki side, um, very, very well documented, very deep API integration. And what they had basically set up was they bought all their hardware, they brought it to a staging area, they would scan the barcode of the serial number, the system would go in using the APIs, create uh, that site uh, with that device assigned print out a shipping label with that site that site's address and they would just slap that label on the box and ship it off and it was already set up into the network the template was already applied it was ready to go all someone needed to do was plug it in and for this particular location or this particular customer that had 10,000 locations that was by far the easiest and and fastest method of deployment um, to their you know for them uh, with 10,000 sites all they needed to do was as you said just have someone there didn't need really even need to know what they were doing just plug in the 
plug in the blue cable into the the, the port labeled number one and <laughs> the yellow one into port number two and you're good to go <laughs> um all right so i think that's uh that pretty much covers what we wanted to talk about in sd wan was there uh was there anything else that you wanted to cover on SD-WAN or any other topics, Brian? No, I think we uh, we went through SD-WAN pretty well. Okay. Um, something you and I were talking about before the show, though, that I did want to bring up. Uh, Brian and I have been getting a lot of questions on data center switching, mm-hmm. uh, replacing Catalyst gear that they were originally using um, for w- with Nexus after listening to the podcast. Yep. Um, I just wanted to mention that there is a great promotion out there right now run by Cisco uh, to get Nexus 9Ks into your data center. Uh, so reach out to your account team if you're thinking of making the switch or you're looking to get new 9K gear into your data center. Very, I'm glad you mentioned that. And again, all this, this is all based on timing. Uh, but again, as of right now, as of, as of March uh, 2019, there's a good promotion uh, to get Nexus hardware in. Uh, if you haven't gotten a chance to check it out, it is our first episode on data center switching that we're referring to, uh, talking about the differences between Catalyst and Nexus uh, switching and why it's important to look at a true data center switch in your data center environment, especially for heavy workloads like uh, iSCSI traffic uh, and what we refer to as east-west traffic being uh, server-to-server communications. Um, and one other thing I, I wanted to bring up kind of off the topic of today, um, I was on a, a Reddit the other day, great place to be, um, and someone had come up uh, with a discussion on um, Wi-Fi access points in warehouses. Uh, specifically asking um, they wanted to replace their uh, older Cisco access points with Meraki, and they were looking for a hardware recommendation. Um, And in the midst of the discussion, um, someone was talking about how they had put in some um, basic general purpose uh, Meraki access points in a warehouse, and they had experienced very poor performance, and they weren't necessarily happy with it. I want to stress how important it is, and we're, we're going to cover... Wi-Fi. We're going to get uh, um, really uh, nerdy about Wi-Fi in, in a future episode. Maybe, maybe even the next one. We'll see. Um, but when it comes to Wi-Fi in a warehouse, when you're looking at ceilings over ten feet, it is vital that you look at access points with external antennas, specifically patch antennas. When you have an access point that is in the ceiling, 36 feet in the air, and is covering, and and, and let's say you space your access points every 100 feet apart, the amount of interference, especially in a warehouse where there's thing, you know, there's there's metal, there's materials, everything stacked up on on a shelf 30 feet in the air, um, all those various uh, materials are going to reflect and absorb the Wi-Fi signal, so that by the time it gets down to where you are. It's completely degraded, and when you have access points that are have, uh, that are using their omnidirectional internal antennas spaced only 100 feet apart, they're going to turn their radios down significantly to avoid interference, and it's going to make that signal strength to go down to you on the floor that much uh, harder to get down there. So the reason why we recommend patch antennas is because it's going to direct that signal downward. They're not going to turn down their uh, radios as much because... They're not going to see the the radio that's 100 feet to their left or right or wherever. So you're going to get a much better uh, signal propagation and signal strength uh, on the floor. You're going to get less, co-cha- less co-channel interference and therefore better better throughput. So, well, again, we'll cover this in a, in a future episode, but I did want to bring it up because it's very, very important. Again, if you're looking over 10 feet, please, please, please don't use the internal antennas. 
look at something with an external antenna, specifically a patch antenna, uh, and we'll get we'll get dark and nerdy with it another day. Um, but I think that's that's going to wrap it up for today. Uh, want to thank you for listening to Con of Tea with URC. If you have a question you'd like us to answer or a topic you'd like to suggest that we cover, please send us an email at hello at conft.show. That's H-E-L-L-O at C-O-N-F-T dot S-H-O-W. And if you like the show, please consider sharing it with your friends and colleagues and giving us a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Show notes for this episode can be found on our website at conft.show. That's C-O-N-F-T dot S-H-O-W. As always, stay safe out there and don't forget to save that config.